Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now each week, as well as the message, Right at the heart of it, I give you a take-home message. That's what I want you to take home. My take-home message is your new self is your true self. Your new self is your true self. Let's say that by making it personally. My new self is my true self. So we said, declare it out loud together, all together. My new self is my true self. Identity, friends is everything. Everybody is looking for identity. We're told that uh, adolescent, teenage children go through an identity crisis. Well, I don't think they have to, but there are big issues concerning identity in your adolescence. But it's not just teenagers. The marginalized of our society have identity crises, ethnic minorities, particularly children of the third, second and third generation, immigrant parents, people who are born outside of Britain, there often is an identity crisis. Even Christians today are suffering an identity crisis. Can you believe that? Who are we in this world, our society that appears so hostile to robust Christian faith where what we believe is social heresy. What, what's our place? How do we make our stand? What's our identity? And one of the reasons why identity is so important is because it's linked to passion. Passion is extremely important. Our identity is the key to understanding our passions and our passions point to our identity. We all have passions. Good passions, bad passions, the bad passions, obviously, we've got to control and quench, and the good passions we can encourage and foster. But our passions are a real clue to who we are. Did you know that when people look at you, they look at your passion, and they begin to identify you with that passion? In the perception of others, you are known by your passions. Let's take Football, for example, as an interest. Uh, you hear people say, oh, they're football crazy. Football is in their DNA. I'm poor mama. She was born, you were born with football boots on. It's in your DNA. Or maybe it's somebody who is more fashion conscious. And you say, ah, oh, that person has a passion for fashion. And they say, you know, they are really fashion conscious. It's in their DNA. Or somebody else, they're into new technology. Whatever you're into and you're passionate about, people notice and they start to define you, your identity, by your passions. Also, your character. They look at your passion and they start to define your character and they say, he's a philanderer. Mm. Or 
He's a philanthropist. Big difference between being a philanderer and a philanthropist, but your passion becomes evident and people use it to define you. Whether you are called a womanizer, a money grabber, a cold, hard-hearted person, or a loving, caring, kind, and gentle person, all of these epithets are given to you by others because they see what you are passionate about. When it comes to your vocation, a wonderful thing can happen. Your passion and your vocation can come together. What you're passionate about in life is reflected in your career in a happy position, if that's the case, because your job is more than a job for you. You're passionate about it. And because you are, people say, oh, he's a lawyer through and through, or she's a businesswoman to the core, or she lives and breathes teaching. It's in her DNA. It's her life. In fact, your passion is so important that you'll hardly get a job or an admission to a course unless you convince the people interviewing you that you are passionate about that subject, passionate about that job. Well, that's how people perceive you. But this is also important when it comes to your own self-perception. How you perceive yourself also is linked to your passions. And it comes out this way. People identify themselves with their passions. They do it this, this kind of way. So you say to them, well, wh why are you behaving that way? Well, that's because I am who I am. Really? I feel this way. I respond this way because that's who I am. And sometimes we try to justify passion-driven behavior by appealing to our nature or our identity. I've heard somebody say this. Well, I guess I'm just not a very forgiving person. End of story. No challenge. That's just who I am. I don't get mad. I get even. That's who I am. This kind of talk is prevalent out there in the world. It has a relevance for us as Christians, but be very, very careful. Don't get trapped by who people think you are. Don't let the world push you into its mold. And don't be trapped by who you think you are. Remember, your new nature is your true nature. And if you understand who you are, then your passion will follow. But do not lie and deceive, be deceived, or don't accept lies or deceit when it comes to who you really are. Because the devil likes you to identify yourself with not who you are, but who you were. He said, that's the real you. I know you. I know you. This is who you really are. And you say, no, devil, I don't belong to you anymore. I belong to Jesus. This, that's what I was, but I'm not that anymore. I am a new person in Christ Jesus. Remember, be yourself. That sounds like a very worldly statement. But it depends which self you're talking about. Isn't that right? When I tell you to be yourself, I'm saying be who you are in Christ. Be your new self. Be your true self. Get rid of all the rest of, all the, rest of the other. Now, what's, why this is so important is because your identity really does determine your passions. Your 
real, your true identity. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Do you see what the Bible is saying here? It's saying who you really are on the inside. That's what you've got to, you've got to work on. That's what you've got to get to. Who you really are on the inside. And if you guard your heart, then you can be sure that the course of your life will be directed properly. But if there's something going on in here, an issue in your heart, then it's going to take you away from your true course. Because how you think, how you feel about things, how you respond, what you are passionate about, what you like, what you dislike, what you want out of life, what you strive to attain out of life, all that comes from who you are inside. And before you were saved, it was pretty ugly. Before you were saved, no matter how good you looked on the outside, on the inside, it was corruption and deceit. But once you're saved, God takes all of that confusion, all that futility, all of that sinful desire out of your life. We've been looking at the verses prior to the few verses that I read. That's Ephesians 4, verses 18 to 19. Let's read it again. And as we read this bit, this is a description of who you were. If you are not saved today, this is who you are. If you are saved today, this is not who you are, but it was who you were. Let's read it. Non-believers, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. No sense of shame. Maybe say the Bible's exaggerating here. No, no, no. The Bible's telling the truth. Because when you start calling evil good and calling good evil, soon, pretty soon, you won't even know the difference between good and evil and your conscience will be affected. So who you are on the inside is what really counts. There's a story. It is, I don't think it's a true story. It's certainly a joke story, but it's a good story. Anyway, of a uh, Protestant man in Northern Ireland. He was a staunch Protestant. Generation after generation of real strong Protestants. He fell out with his family, so he said, I'm going to spite you all. I'm going to become a Catholic. So he goes to the priest and he says, Father, I want you to make me a Catholic. So the priest says, okay, I'll do that. Go through the process. He says, now, son, you're a Catholic. Good, he says. So he goes away for a few days, comes back to see the priest and says, do you know what? You told me I was a Catholic, but I don't feel like a Catholic. I feel like a Protestant. What should I do? And the priest said, it's very simple, my son. Every time you feel that way, say this to yourself. I'm a Catholic, not a Protestant. I'm a Catholic, not a Protestant. 
So he said, okay, Father, I'll give it a try. He tried it for a few days. It didn't work. So he thought he's going to go and visit the priest in his own home. Now, this was a Friday. You know that in traditions in the Catholic Church, on Fridays, you don't eat meat. You eat fish. Well, this man arrived at the priest's house and saw him tucking into a big, fat, juicy duck on a Friday. And as soon as the priest saw the man come in, he turned to the duck and he said, you're a trout, not a duck. You're a trout, not a duck. <laughs> All right. Silly story, really. But what is described in that joke is not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you look at yourself and lie about yourself and say what you're really not. What I'm saying is, when you come to Christ, he changes you from the inside. Amen. The passions of your old sinful nature, its lusts, its thoughts, its affections, all of those are removed from you and you're given a new life, a new heart from within with new attitude, with new passion, with new interests. And that passion is exactly the same passion that lives in Jesus. It now lives in you. Jesus spoke along these lines in one of the most <laughs> powerful and uh, caustic almost, passages of scripture. Jesus reserves in no uncertain terms condemnation for the religious leaders of his day. And in Matthew 23, verses 25 to 26, in fact, the whole of the passage, Jesus is speaking about religious hypocrisy. He doesn't mind using that word. A hypocrite is somebody that is pretending to be one thing where inside there's something else and calling it acceptable religion. And here Jesus says in verse 25, what sorrows await you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Can you imagine if you in your house, if you only cleaned the outside of your utensils, cooking utensils and plates, only the outside, not the inside, do you think anybody would eat in your home? No, God says, no, the, the, you've got the order wrong. It's not outside in, it's inside out. And that's exactly what the gospel gives us. The gospel gives us a new heart, a new nature, and he changes us from the inside out. The Bible says that God desires truth in the inward parts, and he's taken his truth and lodged it within our new hearts. That's why the gospel gives you a new identity and a new Passion. Along with this new identity comes a new, a new passion. 
I don't know if you like watching some of these television uh, serials and programs where it's often uh, set in the United States of America and, and there's some criminal who gets caught and he, he turns state evidence and, and they say, okay, if you give evidence, uh, you get a lenient or we'll, we'll, we'll put you on witness protection program. Anybody know about that, what we're talking about? I've never met anybody. Say, excuse me, I'm on witness protection program because you keep, keep it a secret. But the idea is, is that the government gives you a new identity, a new birth certificate, a new national insurance number, a new passport, maybe even a new nationality, a new home, a new everything. But you're still the same inside. In God's program, not only do you have a new name, a new identity, a new destination, a passport and a visa stamp, permanent right to reside in heaven or even a whole new passport, citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He does all of that, but also he changes you from the inside. He gives you a new nature that is in line with your new identity. And this new heart and new spirit in you is absolutely crazy about God. It's all part of the package. God gives you a new heart with a new identity and a new passion. That passion is 100% directed towards God. It is as passionate about the Father as Jesus is passionate about the Father. It's as passionate about the glory of God as Jesus is passionate about the glory of God. This new nature in you loves God as much as Jesus loves God, and God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, this is very important when it comes to practical day-to-day living. Now, you know the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers because he knows there's stuff in their lives that has to be sorted out. And I guess that makes us all a candidate today for that same letter. We know there's stuff in us. I'm not in the flesh, but the flesh is still trying to get a hold of me. How do we fight this? And, and the, one of the problems is this, friends. It's our desires. How do you extinguish a desire? You, you try not to want it. You try hard not to desire it. How do you undesire something? I mean, it's impossible. God did not make us that way. But way, way back, the old Puritans, they knew a thing or two. An old Scottish Puritan by the name of Dr. Thomas Chalmers. He lived in 1780 to 1847. And uh, these Puritans and these men of God, they so understood the ways of the spirit and the working of the human heart. They so understood what they called the cure of souls, how to pastor and bring people into breakthroughs in their inner life so they would live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God. He wrote a pamphlet which his son published after his death in 1885. The pamphlet is called The Explosive Power of a New Affection. If you search for it online, you'll find it. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And here's what good old Puritan Thomas said. The heart must have something to cling to. That's a given. We're made that way. 
Your heart is made to cling to something. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord to quote Bob Dylan, but you're going to have to cling to somebody. And when we turn our back upon God, we think, oh, well, that's done. That's dealt with. No, you're still clinging to something. And if you're not clinging to the one and the true and the living God and Jesus Christ, whom he sent into this world, you'll be clinging to false gods, false ideas, or substitutes for God. And you are so passionate about what you cling to because you believe that that's going to give you everything that you want. It feels good. It looks good. It tastes good. I want it. That's where life is found. And nobody is going to stop you clinging to that. Like a limpet clinging to a rock, there is no way you're going to let go until you meet Jesus. Until you see something else and, and, and something that's better. And when you see something better, you will forget about your previous passions. That's the expulsive power of a new affection. And the old Puritan finished by saying, therefore, the superior affection for God through the free gospel. You can't work this up in your own heart. I better desire God. Mm, I'm trying. Mm, I'm trying. It doesn't work. No, it has to come from above. The Bible calls it being born again, receiving a new nature, a nature that is passionate for God. And if you are born again today, it's yours. And this is who you are. This is the new, true you. Whatever else is happening in your life, bottom line, you have at the core of your being a passion for God which has the capacity to become the dominant passion of your life. And so the only way to be free from sinful passions is to allow the passion of Christ to take over and be released in you. And you'll discover that you will love him more than anything. You will discover once you've met him and seen how glorious he is that there is nothing that could ever compare with him. And that it will be Jesus only forever and a day in your life. Now I'm not saying that's easy to get to that place, but it begins by acknowledging your new self as your true self. The kingdom of God is here. That's how Jesus began his public ministry. Do you remember that in the Gospels? Jesus came into Galilee, began to preach the gospel of the kingdom, saying, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. That word repent is very simple. It just simply means this. The kingdom's come. Let go of everything else. The kingdom's come. Change your mind about everything. Change your mind about what you believed about God. He is the one, the true and the living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the living, loving, giving, forgiving God. And you're going to say, yeah, I, I, I've changed my mind about that. You change your mind not just about God, but about Jesus. What did you think he was before? A radical revolutionary one amongst many, some prophet amongst other prophets, 
some Jesus amongst other Jesus. No, you discover that he is the only son of the only God and that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, only by revelation. And you change your mind about everything and you say, now I know Jesus died for me. He was raised from the dead for me and he's coming back for me to judge the wicked and to reward the righteous. You've changed your mind about everything. It's a radical turnabout of life and heart because you've met Jesus. That's the kind of conversions we need in the 21st century. Can I have an amen in the house? But it's not only, dear friends, changing your mind about God, that's one repentance. Changing your mind about Christ, that's another repentance. But you've got to change your mind about yourself. That's a repentance very few Christians even get to. Change your mind about yourself. What do I mean? Accept that before you were saved, you were lost in bondage with a corrupt nature that would run a million miles from God. But that's not who you are now. Now you are a new creation. And you, when you learn to change your mind about yourself, and to say, yeah, before I was saved, I was lost. Now I'm saved. I'm created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you know what this means? This means that the truest thing about you in the depth of your being is not some sinful flesh pot. Inside you dwells the Holy Spirit and he has changed you and he has made you truly righteous and truly holy on the inside. And that is the bottom line truth of you. Your new self is your true self. And as soon as you begin to connect with that and say, you know, I believe it. And, and you can, at times, this kind of witnesses to you because you, you know, deep down, you only, only want one thing. And his name is Jesus. A change has happened. You're in love with Jesus. You're passionate about Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit reminding you who you are. And that's the part you have to connect with. Your new self. Your true self. Not what you were, but what you are. And uh, sometimes this is difficult because we don't always behave according to the new self. Have you ever experienced that? Some are saying, let me think about that. Of course you have. We all have that old stuff still clinging on. But if you remember who you really are, even in the middle of an argument with your wife, I'm not speaking now from any personal experience or knowledge, but even in the middle of an argument with your wife and you're going on at her and she's going on at you and you're saying, nya, 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 and she's going, nya, 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 nya. so you go, nya, 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 nya. and you go like that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in this holy place of holy angels? <laughs> oh, yes. But right in the middle of that, if you have the presence of mind, you can stop and you can say, do you know what? Stop, time out. Honey, this is not how I want to be. And even more than that, this is not who I am. I'm a lover of God. 
I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation and the devil is no relation. That's who you really are. And so, the Apostle Paul says, yeah, connect with your true self. Meet yourself and connect with yourself, but then reject the old. Throw it off. I like the New Living Translation. Get rid of it. Throw it off. Throw it off. Throw it off. It's like some old, old clothes, old pair of shoes. Kick them off. I'm getting some new ones. But remember to throw them away. Um, I was listening to a minister a num- number of years ago, sartorial elegance, and he was saying, you know, you're admiring my shoes, but I have a rule in my life. What rule is that? I never buy a new pair of shoes unless I'm willing to throw away the old pair. I thought, that's great, but I thought of my cupboard with all my new shoes and the old shoes. When I get some old shoes, don't look at what I'm wearing now. Don't, don't look at <laughs> but those old shoes are comfortable. And they might look scuffy and torn and got holes in them. They're more holier than a string vest, holier than half of the people here today. But I like them, they're comfortable. And new shoes hurt a little bit. I get so attached to the old ones. And that's like some of us in our spiritual lives. We like the old, or they're they're useless, they look ugly, and they have no value, but they feel comfortable. And so we keep the old shoes alongside the new shoes just to see, just in case we see we need them. Sometimes people wear their new shoes for Sunday services and straight there in the car park slip on the old shoes and go back to business as usual in the world. God says, put on your new shoes and walk in the new walk of holiness. Be who you are. Your new self is your true self. So he says, throw it all away. Lose your life in order to gain it. That wonderful passage in Luke 9 that speaks about you've got to lose your life in order to gain it. Now we know finally the life that we've got to lose is the old life. And the life we're going to gain is the new life. So we lose the old life. We turn our back upon that. We crucify the flesh with its affections and lusts. We don't just put it in a safe place in the wardrobe to wear it when we feel like being unspiritual. We throw it away. We become renewed in the spirit of our mind and we live according to that new passion. The passion that Jesus has in us. It's the same passion that was in Jesus. Lives in you. The Bible says, Christ in me. And if Jesus is living in you, the same passion that Jesus had for the Father, that's who you really are. I'm passionate about God. It might be a little bit hidden. Sometimes it may not show very much, but when you dig beneath the surface mess of your life and all the childish, immature, fleshly ways of responding, you'll discover the bedrock of pure gold at the bottom of your soul, deep, deep within. A love for God, which can become so strong, a passion so dominant that it can push aside every other passion and you can be living for Jesus and Jesus alone. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now in this place.
I want to pray for everybody today because I believe he's speaking to us. But before I do that, I must stop and pause and give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ if you've never given your life before. In fact, after my message today, the terminology giving your life to Christ seems highly inadequate by means of a description of what's going to happen to you. If you come before God and acknowledge that you're a sinner and that sin is working so deep within you that there is nothing you can do to rescue yourself and you say, God, help me, save me, God will remind you that Jesus died on the cross to set you free from your sin. And when you put your trust in Christ, a miracle takes place. Your sins are forgiven. You're given a new identity, a new destination, and you are given a brand new nature, a nature that is soft and sensitive to God. And in the power of that nature, you begin to live for God. This is what the born again experience is like. I'm calling you to it now. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer in which people can call upon the name of Jesus to be saved and receive this new life. I want us all to repeat that prayer after me, everybody. It'll apply especially to you who need Jesus today, who are coming to him for the first time. Then I will pray for you when we have prayed that prayer. Are we all clear? Everybody pray after me. Lord Jesus Christ. Pray it stronger than that. Lord Jesus Christ. I come to you now and I confess that I'm a sinner and there is nothing that I can do to save myself. But I thank you that you died for me on the cross and that your blood brings forgiveness. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit will bring me into new life in Christ. I accept it now and I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Amen and amen. Amen. Now, nobody moving around just as we prepare to move on in the service. If you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you. I want you to identify yourself for two reasons. If you lift your hand in a moment, I'll acknowledge it and I'll pray for you. But also, as you lift your hand, somebody will come and stand with you to give you this free pack which will help you move forward. This one. This one. This free pack. So be ready in a moment. Okay, everybody? Are you ready? Why do I need to do this? Well, God knows your heart, but when you actually confess Christ publicly it strengthens you so I'm doing it for you so okay are you ready wherever you are under the sound of my voice if you say I need Jesus in my life lift your hand right now right where you are and we're going to come and stand thank you God bless you to my left help me on the platform I don't want to miss anybody anybody upstairs lift your hand high help me on the platform so I can see one person I've seen lifted their hand if there's anybody else thank you upstairs in the balcony don't want to prolong this if you know you need Jesus, lift your hand right now. This can be the change of all changes. This can be the best thing that's ever happened to you. Settle your eternal destiny and give you faith for living now. Downstairs in the overhaul, overflow. In the lower hall, overflow. 
out there on the internet, there's somebody who will reply to your email. Final time of asking, if you need Christ, lift your hand right now. Father, I pray for those who've lifted their hands and I pray that this will become real for them and real in them. Real in them. A change that takes place. Grant that they may know that your blood washes from every sin. They've been changed and made anew in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now for everybody, I want to ask you some questions. Come forward, musicians. They're going to help us worship God together in this time of seeking His face. Let me ask you a question. Listen, listen carefully. It's a very pointed question. Is Jesus really so attractive? Is Jesus so attractive to you? You've seen his beauty by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That you will say, give me Jesus. You can take everything else. I want Christ and only Jesus. That's when your passion is released. Have you had a revelation of yourself? Not that old self. That's what the devil wants you to remember that. Oh, look who you were. You're ugly and horrible and sinful. No, no, no. That person is dead and crucified. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Have you had a revelation of who you are in Christ? And when you meet yourself, and I'd like to introduce you. Hi, Jim, meet your new self. That's who you really are. Your new self is your true self. Have you met yourself? And is this the self you are pursuing, seeking, and embracing? Letting go of the old, saying, this is what I'm going to pursue. That's my passion. Remember that there is a passion in you. It's the same passion that Jesus had with the Father when he said, Father, I've not come to do my own will, but I've come to do your will. Father, glorify me as I have glorified you. My food is not to do my own will, but your will will be done but your will oh Jesus has such father facing obedience such abundant passion for the father all he ever wanted to do was honor the father glorify the father that same living desire is in you if you're born again get in touch with it today we're going to help you in this song of worship everybody's standing right now we've got time to wait before God don't rush out of here. we got time this morning to continue to seek His face. We're going to ask Him by means of a prayer. Everybody standing, please. Everybody standing. We're honoring Him together today. Thank you, Jesus. Show me the passion of your heart. Show me your love, your nature, everything that sets you apart and sets me apart. I want to live in that passion. I want to live in that glory. Everybody, lift your hearts and hands and worship Him together. Thank you, Jesus.